Man, this is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already should know. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast. This is Season 6, Episode 38. I'm John DiCarlo. Sam Cohn's with me today. Sam, how are you doing? I'm good. I was actually, I just realized just now as you were saying, as you were opening up this podcast that I have not been on this podcast in like two or three weeks. I know we because just vacation or work conflicts or whatever. I just haven't been able to make it now that we've been doing like the every other week. It feels like mm-hmm. it, I haven't been here in a long time. And I also realized when we found out that Kyle couldn't join us, it would just be the two of us. I was thinking, when was the last time that you and I did a podcast, just the two of us? And I think it was the podcast that we did uh, like a week after Kobe Bryant passed away or like the week of when we were in your office. That's the last Mm -hmm. time I remember just the two of us. I don't think there's been one unless I'm just drawing a blank, but that's the last time I remember last time I remember just doing it, the two of us. So it's very exciting. Yeah. We need, we just, we needed some time together to catch up. Exactly. You know, you know, and in case you're wondering, yeah, we do have a new intro to the podcast. Not that we're shoving Brandon McManus to the side, but. In the intro there, you heard the voice of Deion Dawkins, the left tackle from the Buffalo Bills, former Temple standout. He's going to be a big part of this podcast this week. I had a chance to talk to him on Saturday, this past Saturday. He came to Temple's Diamond Street lot as part of his Dion's Dreamers event. It was a food pantry event. Uh, they gave food to anybody in the community who needed it uh, and then brought it up to Brian uh, Presbyterian Church, I believe, up at Broad and Diamond. Uh, great event. We'll talk a lot about that. We're going to play the full interview, my full interview with Dion Dawkins for you. And uh, Dion was kind enough to record a new intro to the podcast. So we'll rotate that one in along with the longstanding voice of uh, Denver Broncos kicker, Brandon McManus as well. Uh, have a clip of my interview, my conversation with Amir Tyler, Temple's safety, one of the team captains. You can hear the full interview and read the full story uh, from my interview with Amir that's up on the on the site right now. If you're a subscriber, another reason to subscribe to the site. And then we've got a ton of cool stuff to get into this week. I will be picking Sam's brain. Sam uh, pretty much set up camp at St. Joe's prep last weekend for Philly live one and got to see a lot of the players that temple is involved with looking at scouting uh, has offered, you know, they've offered a couple of these guys on the 22, 23 classes. So we'll be asking Sam, we got some great mailbag questions as well what he saw last week and a few other mailbag questions um, additionally. So uh, Sam, all very exciting stuff. Yeah. There's one famous number 38. I can think of liked him as a pitcher pretty much can't stand him. Now, every time he opens up his mouth, who am I thinking of? Come on. Don't think too hard on this. Bloody sock, red socks. You can't stand him when he opens his mouth. Yeah. Baseball numbers are not my, not he pitched. Thing. He pitched for the Red Sox. Pitched for the Phillies. Very, uh, very, Garrett, very, Whitlock. very opinionated guy. Garrett Whit- Garrett Whitlock. No. <laughs> a lot. Uh, I mean, like a a lot. Very good pitcher, but very polarizing when he opens his mouth. Played for the Phillies and the Sox and wore number yes. thirty-eight. Yes. Uh, yeah, you're gonna have to help me out on this one. I'm gonna be kicking myself after, but let's hear it. Kurt Schilling. Yes, Kurt Schilling. <laughs> nice. Yes. Kurt Schilling. 
I don't want to call this the Kurt Schilling episode, but he's the the one famous number 38 I can uh, think of. But again, a lot of good stuff from Sam Cohn this week. I think if you're a basketball, Temple basketball fan and recruiting fanatic, you're really going to enjoy this episode. And if you're a Temple football fan, again, we've got you covered too with, as I said, Amir Tyler and the Deion Dawkins interview. We'll get to this Deion Dawkins interview first, just to set the scene again. He was back in town for um, a philanthropic uh, venture here again, uh, formed a, an organization called Dion's Dreamers. So he was there to uh, give food to people in the community in the surrounding area who needed it. There were more than 50 players from the current team who were there helping out. Uh, Rod Carey went over to talk to him. They had a camp going on that day, uh, but just a really cool scene down at the, at the parking lot, 11th and Diamond. And we'll talk about this a little bit later with one of the mailbag questions. Dion talked to the team a little bit later on. I think that I really think that the team needed this in addition to in, in addition to the community and the and the people that they helped. It's just a really cool scene. They had great weather for it. So this is my conversation with Dion Dawkins again, as you guys know, um, an All Conference player, left tackle for the for the Owls, was part of that 2015 team that started off seven and zero beat Penn State, almost beat Notre Dame. And then, of course, he was part of the 2016 team that won a conference championship. He's now on his second contract with the Buffalo Bills and uh, has really cemented himself as one of the better left tackles in the NFL. You'll hear Dion say here that, you know, while he appreciates that, certainly doesn't bank on it too much. Uh, one of the things you'll hear him say is, you know, I, I have it today. It could be gone tomorrow. So, uh, and again, if, you, if you're if you a Temple fan and you know Dion, you know he's just a, he's got a great sense of humor. He's a silly character uh just really fun really engaging it was great to see him so we're going to play this entire interview here uh with Dion Dawkins and then we will react to it on the other side Dion, uh, first of all what's it like I know it's a simple question what's it like to be back and just you know a couple blocks away from the facility here man uh it feels good to be back uh that's number one and just to see the young generation of Temple is uh also exciting because mm-hmm. I was these kids what six seven years ago mm-hmm. and now these kids are on their mission, trying to get to that 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 uh, next step. What did, when when you walked in today, you started interacting. I know there's maybe a little bit of crossover here, maybe like a guy like Amir Tyler yeah. knows you, but what has some of the younger offensive linemen come up to you? Anybody talked to you yet? I know they're so, here to like so, work, but so what's not it like? really yet. Uh, I'm gonna dive in in a couple minutes, but uh, the guys are on full like work mode. Uh, we work first, we play later. Yeah, and uh, you know, but I'm I'm gonna get to them. Tell me how this came together, Dion's Dreamers thing. I mean, anybody who knows you is not surprised to see you being very philanthropic. You're, you're, you've always been a great person. You've got a great sense of humor. But how did this specifically come together? Is this something you always wanted to do? I mean, just, well, I'm a caring person. And uh, giving back to people in need is definitely always a, a head spear. And uh, there's so many people in the world that, and, and that need a helping hand and that need just help. And... Uh, this is just something that is a part of it. Like, you know, like there's so many guys that can impact people in different ways, but uh, I just want to just do it where the communities that built me, you know, I, I grew up in Rawway in Jersey. I went to school in Philly. I got drafted by and the Bills. So those three places are my, my core places of, of my life. So just giving back to the community that helped grow me is special what does this community mean to you because you guys would walk back and forth to practice and some of the guys would tell me like some of the people in the neighborhood would be like as you guys got better like the guys from 
five, ten years ago, like Steve Maneri would be like, oh, the guys in the neighborhood would tease us when we were bad before we got good. Right. Did you interact with a lot of people in the neighborhood here when you would go back and forth? <laughs> I mean, honestly, yes. Uh, the community was, um, was, was a strong supporter when we were good. And uh, <laughs> they were uh, violent, not violent, but, but they were... Um, just a tough crowd when we were losing yeah and uh just to see the growth of it and the the uh, the what's the word that i'm 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 looking for the adaption yeah or how like this uh or like organization adapted it's changed and the community loves us we love the community so it's a ping pong effect they like help us they show us love we perform and entertain them you're i mean i've covered your whole career at temple We've been over this a million times. Guys like you, PJ, Jihad, a lot of guys up in North Jersey were, were overlooked. Yeah. You're now on your second NFL contract. You're a team captain. Yeah. You, you played on a team that was in the AFC Championship game. What Does that kind of – I know you're not done by any means, but does it, when you look back, do you kind of pinch yourself? Does it kind of blow your mind to say, like, wow, I'm, I'm one of the best tackles in the NFL right now? Man, I got to be better. And uh, we – from playing here – we didn't know how to win. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, from playing here, winning wasn't a guarantee. Mm -hmm. We learned how to win. Right. And I just adapted that and continued that in my career of do what I do do best. And that's just keep my mouth shut, play, play hard, and play ball. And uh, it's just the correlation of what Temple did for me. It did for my guys like PJ and all of those guys and how it adapted into the NFL. Like, there's so many guys in, in the league now that have just brought everything that we were taught from our roots to the NFL, which is why we're able to achieve and uh, excel. What does it mean? Being a captain is a huge honor. What did, what did that mean to you, and how did that come together up there? Man, it was, uh, it's still truly an uh, uh, honor, because you think about it, like, when you're in college, you're a captain to other kids, like other guys like, that are in the same age group. And uh, then when you're voted as a captain, as an NFL athlete, you're a captain to veterans. Like, you're a captain to guys that have been playing for 12 years, 15 years, 8 years, 4 years, 5 years, 6 years. And uh, it's, just, it's just amazing, and it's an honor to, to be even looked at in that light to other grown, grown men. What's it like being able to spend time with Tyler and just being the same team with him again? <laughs> and not only just in the NFL, but on a really good team, too. Yeah, we hang out all of the time uh, and with Tyler. And uh, once again, it, it just brings back that uh, that feel of we're just doing what, what we've been doing. And people see that these Temple guys are for real and that they need us. Well, that teams need guys like Temple guys on their team. It's just a little piece that just every team needs what is it just the extra i know it sounds kind of cliche but what, when you say temple guys it's just the extra chip on their shoulder i wasn't a five-star recruit but now look at me now is that, that type of feel where not you kind of feel like nothing's guaranteed and you work a little harder it's more so as it was never pretty and we got it out the mud mm -hmm. what it, when you got when you talk to guys around the league about about temple i mean it's i mean there you got 25 plus guys in the league now so it's not this it's a reputable program now. When you talk to guys that had different experiences, what do they what do they say when they think about Temple? Well, at, at first it was just Temple, Temple, Temple. Like where's that? And now the more and more guys that have came and have made it to to Temple, it's like, oh yeah, Temple tough, Temple tough, Temple tough. Mm -hmm. So it's more so of a respecting 
that people have for uh, Temple now. What, it, I, I'm sure it kind of stunk for you guys last year. You play for arguably, I mean, every city is going to say, oh, we got a crazy fan base. It's just, you know, it's just different up there. Hey, you had some fans in the building in the playoffs. And I think I think I read something from you where you said it, it wasn't a full sellout, but it sounded like a sellout. Yeah. How much are you guys looking forward to playing in front of a full stadium this year after you guys did what you did last season? That's the number one thing uh, is our fans. And uh, in any like situation, our fans come in and show out, and uh, they show out for real. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a different feeling. You just got to be there to understand what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So if anybody's listening, just come out to the Bills mm-hmm. uh, season opener or to any game and just see what the talk is about. Now, I've heard this for a long time, but for somebody who just is just getting to know you, tell me about the origins of the snowman and where that where that came from. Was that something that developed in high school or is it something yeah. you just started saying around here? No, nah, it, it, it started off in... Uh, Middle school, high school ish, you know. Oh, so and, uh, that far back, okay. And uh, from 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 uh, from going from living in Jersey, we're going through all other seasons. You know, I would wait for this for the winter months, the cold months. And I would wait for school to be canceled. And uh, if if school was going to be canceled, they would call home, mm-hmm. and uh, the phone and would ring. And if the phone rang, I would think, oh, maybe a possibility there could be a. Uh, a school cancel cancel can- cancellation right and uh if they did i would wake up early in the morning mm-hmm. i would hit houses mm-hmm. i would knock on the door i would hit houses and i would see if they wanted their their walkway and driveway shovel oh, see, and, i didn't even know that and and uh when when people see me like wipe at my nose and they go what's up like you already snow it's your boy it's literally <laughs> me wiping the the snot from me outside all day of shoveling snow and coming home with a pocket full of the cash of, I didn't of even, hard work. I didn't even know it went that far back. Yeah. Where does the sense of humor come from? Because again, like there are guys in the league that have a sense of humor, but everybody who meets you, they're like, this guy is just different. I remember walking to practice with you here and talking about how we both own small dogs, and you're like, dude, I'm just a different dude. But where, is, where does that come from, your personality, the sense of humor? Because again, not everybody's like that, and it's genuine with you. You know, it's a... Uh... It's just me, man. Like, uh, it's just from the people that I've been around in my life that I grew up with and I've been involved with. Uh, it just helped adapt me to me being me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not afraid to show my personality. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people can't say that. So mm-hmm. it's just uh, I'm happy that I adapted that uh, confidence to be able to show my personality in all forms. Will you get a chance, like, once work's done today, will you get a chance to kind of, like, talk to some of the current players and interact yeah. with them? So I, uh, yeah, so... Uh, later on today, I'm gonna sit all other guys down and uh, and talk to them mm-hmm. uh, and just let them ask questions and just basically like open a uh, open talk. What do you think they have to do to bounce back? Last season was it was crazy for you guys in the NFL. Just just work. Yeah. Answer that question is just work. Yeah. And uh, these guys like they just have to keep their head down. This is not Alabama. This is not LSU. Yeah. They just got to keep their head down, work hard, push plates, wake up 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. Understand that. It was never meant, and it never will be pretty. Yeah. This is the the gritty gritty here of Temple football, and these guys just I just have to understand that we're the diamond in the dirt. You know, mm-hmm. just keep working, keep your head down, and bust your ass. It seems like part of what they're dealing with is you guys 
you guys set a big standard to live up to. And it kind of was that way. Once Al Golden came here, he turned things around. And then Adazio and then you guys. And they like they have a standard to live up to. When they go one and six, people are like, oh, that's that's unacceptable around here. Is part of it just like shaking it off and just saying like, life. yeah. It's life, man. Uh, everybody wants to win 100% of the time, but in realism, in every sport, there's going to be a winner and a, a loser. And at some point, there's going to be a time where you have to start over and rebuild, you know? And uh, that's the ups and downs of college ball. Like, you got your guys, and then you have your team that grows, and then these guys have a four-year like contract, like, basically... When that four years is up, it's usually a whole different different crew. When you first got here, I guess when a, a guy gets to a D1 level, they're like, okay, I'm pretty good. But did you think that any of this was ever possible, that you'd be like, okay, you're going to say I'm not an elite left tackle in the NFL, but you, you got your second contract, you're playing for one of the best teams in the league. When you first got here, could you have imagined any of that stuff? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, confidence in, in myself, so yes. But I don't – I. I didn't know if it would happen the way that it happened. Mm-hmm. You know, like I didn't think that the journey was going to be the way it was, but eventually it was it was going to happen, but mm-hmm. I just didn't know how and, and when. What's it like play, blocking for a guy like Josh Allen who can obviously stud. throw it and a, can a threat to run it too? Stud, absolute stud. Uh it's 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 fun. You know, playing for a coach and, and blocking for a guy like Josh is just it's just different and seeing the journey that he's on. It's just, it's just a different, it's just a different energy. Any anybody in the league, a defensive lineman who's come up to you and complimented you after a game, anything that 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 meant a lot to you? Multiple times, but that's uh that's here and there. Like you know, from playing in a sport where and where guys love and what they do, it's just uh, and respecting. Like if you play hard for the entire game, the respect is there. Mm-hmm. If you quit, the the and respect is gone immediately but uh just guys just and respecting guys uh and i'm blessed to honestly take that next step in my career to get in my set and my second deal so usually every game i'm i'm getting everybody's best ball what is it like to have that second contract because again you've been a very very humble human being you've never had an ego to sign that type of contract to be able to just do stuff like that and give back what, what's it like to kind of just absorb that and take that all in i'm like oh my god my life is different you've worked hard your whole life but to, to be this fortunate now i just keep my head down and i just keep working bro like i honestly like act like it never even happened or it doesn't happen mm-hmm. and i just keep i just keep pushing forward literally like i don't look at it like oh and i made it nah not none of that it's just hey you know i i have it now it could be gone tomorrow and i'm gonna just keep doing what i've been doing before and i had it all right so hopefully you guys uh enjoyed that again i i think that one of my takeaways from the conversation is that um you know in addition to just the philanthropic piece of it and dion just having a big heart um and again we'll, we'll get into this uh in i think d blaze 75's mailbag question i think the team really needed this as well you know he got a chance to to talk to rod carry i saw them talking gave him a chance to catch up dion gave him a big hug and spent some time talking to him talking to you know several players uh, when he, when I first got there, the current players were setting up bags, putting produce in bags, and you could see, you know, some of the guys looking over in Dion's direction. I think they were, you know, anxious to talk to him. And one of the things you heard Dion say there was, you know, we'll work first and we'll play later, but Dion was really excited to be back. And I think that 
you know, after a one and six season, and again, Dion's certainly not going to be the only guy to come back and talk to the team, but after a, a season like they had one and six, all the questions about whether or not they're going to be able to bounce back from the injuries, the COVID absences, the guys who left via the transfer portal. I think it was just good for them to see a familiar face come back. And not only a guy that's gotten to the league, but a guy that they really have some staying power in the league right now. Of course, if you're, if you're a bills fan, you, you know, he's a huge part of the team right now. They went 13 and three fell a step short of getting to the Super Bowl, And of course, if you know anything about that fan base, they're going to Dion, as he said, is going to be really juiced up for, you know, playing in front of a, a packed house again in Buffalo. I guess every city has their own thoughts and feelings and, and affinities for their fan base. Philadelphia certainly does. I'm sure they do up in, in Boston, Sam and Buffalo. It's completely nuts up there. So they'll get to play uh, unless we have any sort of, you know, massive steps back with COVID, they're going to be able to play in front of a full house up there. But um, Buffalo fans are a different breed. Who is the the guy that got drafted to the Bills and at his draft party, he jumped on a table? Oh, I can't God, think of the name. There was like a third or fourth it? rounder that got drafted to the Bills and he climbed up on like a car and jumped off and <laughs> jumped on and broke I a table. I should know this. I know what you're talking <laughs> about. I forget the guy's name. But, um, but yeah, just a, a really cool conversation. Sam, anything you can think of that you took away from the conversation stood out to you? I mean, yeah, one interesting thing I thought that you had talked about that you had kind of briefly mentioned in your story was uh, a quote from him just about like he having his communities. I mean, he grew up in New Jersey, right? Broadway, New Jersey. Yep. Up in North grew, yeah, grew, grew up in New Jersey, spent time at Temple in North Philadelphia, and now playing in the NFL, playing professionally in Buffalo. He said those are really like his three home bases. Those are really his communities. And now that he feels like he has a platform and the ability to do these kinds of things with his um, with his charitable organization like he feels like he can go back and help those three communities because those three places although very different and it represent very different parts of his life are all really equally important to him yeah and i I didn't even know like again if you follow him on social media you know he calls himself the snowman which stems from you already should know i didn't know that it went as far back as him being in junior high up in north jersey and him waiting for school to be canceled and going out and shoveling people's driveways and walkways and that that anecdote about him saying he's like there's me out on the front out on someone's front porch just wiping the snot off my nose because i had been out there all day but that's awesome he really is he's you know again there are a lot of larger than life personalities in the nfl but one of the cool things about dion and you'll hear amir tyler talk about it if you listen to that entire interview as well um it's a cool thing when somebody's really good at their craft and really good at what they do, but they also blend a a sense of humor with it. And again, if you, if you follow him on social media, or again, if you went to school with him at temple, you know what I'm talking about? Just a really fun, really engaging guy, but also a hell of a football player too. So hope you guys enjoyed that interview. And again, uh, have the story up from this past weekend. If you want to check that out as well. Uh, Again, as I mentioned a couple seconds ago, when I was there, I got the chance to talk to Amir Tyler, one of Temple's team captains, uh, a safety, one of the better players and one of the most important players in the program right now. And uh, Amir is one of the guys that crosses over with Dion. Amir was a safety, uh, excuse me, a freshman in 2016 when Dion was in his final season. So they got a chance to catch up. And uh, I'm going to play a clip in a second. The whole interview, as I said earlier, at the outset of the podcast is available to subscribers. The story's up now. You can listen to the, our entire interview with Amir Tyler and the complete transcript of it. One of the things he talked about again was his connection to Dion and how much it meant to, to have him come back. 
Um, we're going to play this clip here again. You can, you can count Amir Tyler as another fan of Dewan Mathis, who, as we've talked about, um, barring any unforeseen circumstances is going to be Temple starting quarterback this year, the transfer from, from Georgia, a high profile recruit, uh, coming out of high school in Michigan. Uh, but here is Amir Tyler talking about Dewan Mathis and, you know, why he has stood out to him. That boy could throw. Mm-hmm. He can throw. I, I just like uh, how he's carrying himself a lot. For him to be a freshman, a rusher freshman, he definitely has the persona of an older guy. And uh, he definitely knows, like, what we went through last year. Like, I, I feel like he feels what we went through last year. So the way I see him train with Blue and Randall, the stuff I see him do off the field and after practice and just getting the guys together, like, I definitely see his mindset. And I, I'm seeing a lot of good things from him. How important... It might sound like an obvious question, but how important was was it for him to establish that? Because I imagine if, you know, a different guy could come in and be like, oh, well, I was a, I was a Georgia recruit and I had Michigan State. And like and were you guys when he came in, were, was there part of you was like, we got to sniff this guy out and see if he's got an ego or was it were you kind of wondering if he was going to be like that or was it just like as soon as he came in you were like oh, okay this guy's not not like that uh as soon as he came in though right off the bat like i, I wanted to talk to him to see what he was and see how he was the type of person he was and once i like you know we got to know him and stuff like that i, I immediately knew like what type of time he was on and what he actually wanted from this program and uh you know a lot of people think that like for him come from a big school from the sec that he'll come in with that mindset you know we thought about that too but he came in he showed us off the bat what type of person he was what he wanted to do and that he wanted to win mm-hmm. and i believe in him so you think some of it has to do with the fact like he's been through his own adversity i mean he had a he had he had to undergo brain surgery he goes to georgia starts in the opener there but then down there it's super quickly boom you can get replaced do you think that kind of because he's been through some of his own adversity, he's happy to be here and have a second chance? Absolutely. I think that definitely plays a toll on anybody that has to go through what he went through. And just to see that uh, he's still strong and he still has the mindset of him ready to play and doing anything to get him to the next level, I think that definitely put a chip on his shoulder for him to come here. And uh, one thing, when I talked to him, he said that he he felt welcome. Like, he felt like it was home. Like, he felt like they actually cared about him. Not saying they didn't care about him in Georgia, but he actually felt like they wanted him here and they had a plan for him. All right, so again... You can hear that entire interview with Amir Tyler if you're an alscoop.com subscriber. That story and the entire interview is up on the website right now. If you haven't, I would strongly consider subscribing. Again, you get any um, one-on-one interviews, any insight that we can give you on the message boards. Um, One of the things that I learned from that interview with Amir, if you listen to the entire thing, he tipped us off to a key position switch. Uh, When we get information like that, we'll break it on our message boards whether it's the football board or the basketball board for our subscribers first to make sure that you guys are getting the most uh, for the money that you pay to subscribe. We greatly appreciate it. So uh, again, there's some great stuff in that interview with Amir. Again, the position switch that I think, you know, could change things on both sides of the ball and uh, just some other stuff about just the whole pulse of the team right now. Again, we've talked about it ad nauseum. They've got to bounce back one win season last year for a variety of reasons. So Amir Tyler in that interview, will give listeners a lot of insight into, you know, what's going on, what the guys are doing on and off the field, um, you know, what their mindset is like heading into preseason camp in August and just how different things are now that they can at least get some team stuff in, get some seven on stuff in, stuff that they obviously were not able to do at this juncture last year when we were much more in the thick of things with COVID. So hope you guys enjoy that clip and hopefully you'll consider subscribing and listening to that entire uh, interview with Amir Tyler. We'll turn things over now to Sam 
want to get into a lot of Temple basketball recruiting stuff again with things starting to lift with COVID and hopefully continuing to go in a positive direction. The live periods are back and upon us. College coaches can go out and watch high school players play. What makes Philly Live cool? Again, two years ago, they had this. If you read Sam's preview, they had this at Philly U, I think before it became Jefferson University up on Henry Avenue in East Falls. They weren't able to have it last summer. This year, Philly Live 1 and Philly Live 2, which is this weekend, right, Sam? Right. Both down at St. Joe's Prep. So, I mean, if you're a Temple student, you're around in the summer, you can um, actually, can fans go to the Sam or is it just, a, okay, so. No, forget, no fans. Forget I said that. No <laughs> invitation to fans. Sorry, no to fans. Uh, there is so, like a link that you can that you can watch because they do have people at each court with an iPad, like following the ball. So, uh-huh. so there is some kind of link that you can find that you can watch the games. But yeah, no, no fans. Just uh, coaches, media, and scouts. Yeah. So Sam will be there again for us this weekend. Was there last weekend, watched a ton of basketball, covered a ton of basketball, produced a ton of great content for us last weekend. Really appreciate that. But Sam, you, you got a chance to watch a lot of the guys that Temple has either offered or you know some guys that they have their eye on. Just what was the overall experience like? What's it like to get back out there and just cover basketball again and cover you know just a recruiting event? I mean, it's not supposed to be a recruiting event, but it's, it's, it's live and it's open to college coaches. What's the whole experience like if you had to take people inside that experience in the gym? Very, very cool because that's the first time I've covered anything like that. I mean, I've been to countless basketball events like that, just like with AAU, high school, whatever. But being able to be in an environment like that and cover something like that in itself was a really cool experience. Add that on top of the fact that nothing like this has happened in the last 15 months. Right. Um, so it was a lot of like people seeing each other for the first time in a long time, getting to meet. I got to meet a lot of people that I knew through like social media or knew through just kind of like the recruiting scene that I've never actually met in person. Um, one of them being friend of the podcast, John Brennan, who's uh, was coaching Newman Garetti. So it was a really cool experience just to be there in person and see that be that close to basketball again. Cause even covering the temple games, they had us, they had media pretty high up in the upper bowl. So we couldn't even be kind of closer to the game then in the short few games that we were able to attend. So at Philly live, it was like the, the, for those of you who haven't seen St. Joe's prep, this was my first time going. Um, they have a track above the, above the court and that's where all the college coaches are. So there's really no interaction between media and scouts and college coaches and the college coaches are up high, so they don't necessarily have the best view of of these guys because they're they're a little bit removed, which is purposeful. But um, they're a little bit removed. But fortunately, the media were able to be down right on top of the court and get a better look at the action. So I think one of the cool things for me, at least, was that you know I've been doing this recruiting coverage for Al Scoop for maybe a year and a half, and it's always been limited to a lot of phone calls and what I can find online. Uh, of film and who I can talk to. But this is the first time I got to see any of these guys that I've written about, talked to, or covered in any capacity, see them play in person with my own two eyes and kind of take away what I want to take away or what I can take away from what I'm seeing of them playing. So it was a really cool experience to spend what I believe was like 20 hours logged of basketball watching over a three-day period and uh, spending as much time as I could there to see a lot of different games, four different courts, finding myself looking back and forth between courts, finding myself setting up a schedule for myself of like what court I need to be at at what time, having some free time to write in between games, having some time to just network and talk to people. And I think the coolest thing 
was that I have had times where I've gotten other voices than the kid, than these kids that are being recruited by Temple for these stories or forever reporting I'm doing. But this is the kind of event where I can talk to a bunch of different people about a kid just to paint a better picture of what other people are seeing and learn as much as I can about these kids just to get more in-depth reporting. Because when you're able to do that in person rather than like trying to set up, navigate and set up phone calls with people or Zoom calls with people, when you can just walk up to someone, introduce yourself and kind of just have a casual conversation, you it, it, you get a lot more out of the experience and you're learning a lot more about how other people see the game, what other people are seeing in these kids. And uh, I think it helped me paint a better picture of a lot of the kids I was able, I was able to see play this past weekend. Yeah. Great stuff, Sam. And, and just a reminder to people, the thing that's different about Philly live is that um, what I liked about it when they started talking about this a couple of years ago was it gives college coaches the ability to evaluate these guys on their high school teams in the summer um, when it's harder for them to do so during the season. Now, again, uh, every college coach is going to tell you, Hey, it's part of the grind. It's part of the hustle. You just have to, even if we're on the road, if, you know, if, um, if a team, if a team's on the road and they're, they even want to get a look at somebody on the road, they're out at a high school game on a Friday night before a Saturday afternoon game. But again, at Philly live, it's the teams, it's these guys playing with their high school teams and not their AAU programs. They will be doing that also during the summer, but so it gives them the opportunity to see, you know, I think real quickly before I turn it back over to you, Sam, Jaleel White didn't get the opportunity a couple of years ago. And I talked to him at Philly Live when he was hurt after he had his first meniscus tear. Um, people wanted to see him on the ball, off the ball. Is he playing more on the ball with his AAU program than he is or, or less off the ball than he is with Wildwood Catholic? Of course, he never got the case to showcase that. And had he, you know, a lot of people have talked about this. If he had really blown up at one of the Philly Live events, would he have you know, Temple would have had to fight even harder to get them. But it's it's another opportunity for, again, for high school coaches to see these guys through that team lens. And on the flip side of it, it's a, it's a chance for these guys to showcase themselves through the team lens when they're not in the midst of the high school season. Yeah, well, just to your point, like there are guys – there's such a stark difference between guys playing on their high school team and playing on their um, playing on their AAU teams. Like for example, uh, I was talking to someone. Um, I so on Friday, uh, the first game tipped off at noon, and it probably went till like nine nine thirty at night. And I there was no one on my list that I really had to see until like three or four in the afternoon, but. Uh, I felt like I want to get there early, kind of get a lay of the land, just get a chance to watch some basketball and get acclimated to a new space before I really started to dive into the coverage that I had to do. Fortunately, I was there early enough to see Jaron McKee play, who we'll get into a little bit later. But um, one example, I was down at the end by court four and I was just kind of casually watching these two different games. And uh, there was one kid whose name I'm blanking on and isn't someone that's on Temple's radar or someone I really had to see. I was just like thinking out loud that he looks pretty impressive. He had a couple of really nice moves, a couple of nice finishes. And uh, he like hit a corner three. And I said to the person next to me, like, who is that kid? Um, he looks pretty good the last couple of minutes. And the kid was like, oh, that's blah, blah, blah. He's like the 11th man on team final with Jalen Duran. But now look at him on his high school team. Like he's probably their number right. one option. So you're seeing such a difference between Kids like the, to be able to see a kid play in those two different environments helps you paint a broader picture. And that's what's so important for these college coaches to be at events like this, because you're seeing a kid play in different roles and how and watch them take on different capacities, as opposed to being a, you know, a guy that's getting a couple minutes off the bench on one of the more impressive AAU teams in the area versus getting a chance to play for his high school team and really be like one of those go to options, because at different levels of college, like depending on where he falls or where he ends up, he could play anywhere in between those roles. 
Um, so it's just interesting to see that that difference between playing with your high school team, playing with your AU team, and help paint that picture. Absolutely. We're going to go to a couple of mailbag questions right off the bat because it stays within the within the flow of the conversation here. So uh, these are from Outscoop subscribers uh, from our message boards. Uh, the first one here is from dblaze75 is the screen name. He has a two-part question for Sam. Number one, out of the recruits you watched at St. Joe's Prep, who fits best in the Temple program and at the same time has an above-average chance to be signed by Temple? I think from the guys I saw, uh, in terms of like when you think when you to the to D Blaze's question, when you think about both fit and you think about like where they're at in terms of like their recruitment and Temple's chance with them, the two guys that come to mind are Dan Skillings and Christian Furman. Um, in talking to both of them, it sounds like Temple has a legitimate chance uh, with both of them, and I think both play at the style of basketball that. Aaron McKee is building and the temple program is building. And that's guys that are long athletic, get up and down the floor. We've talked about this a thousand times. Um, and I guess I'll start with Dan skillings. Like that's the kind of guy that's got, that's just constantly on the move, constantly fighting for loose balls. Um, and I guess I can get more into him now just because with to the, to D blazes question, like one thing that really impressed me about Dan skillings was, and he had, I had talked to him prior to Philly live a couple days yeah, earlier. A couple in that days week, before. First, yeah. Yeah, first story I did before Fully Live, and one of the questions I asked him, like, what's one thing that you want to prove to college coaches that you want to showcase about your game this weekend? And his response was something to the tune of, I want to show that I'm more of a guard than a wing. I want to show that I can have the ball in my hands. I can score. I can facilitate. I can create for others. And I can be a guy that can play in the backcourt and be more of a guard-type player and get recruited as a guard-type player. Um, the guy's like 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, uh, and he told me after, when I talked to him after, uh, after his game on Sunday, he said he really thought he did that. He thought he had chances that he could have done more, but he said he felt like he proved that he was able to be that kind of guard type. One thing that really impressed me was the way he could attack the paint and extend like full extension finish over guys. Um, his soft touch, like, like, cause he's got such long arms, the way he was able to finish around guys and able to get to his spots and able to get to the rim, I thought was really impressive. So he's a guy that's constantly on the move. Doesn't exactly take plays off. Um, He's improving his jump shot and he's showing that he can be more of a guard. He can show he can be more of a facilitator. And that's the kind of guy that you could play in that two, three spot uh, in Temple's offense. Um, also a good two-way player that works hard on defense. But I think what I, from what I saw, his offensive game was really what he showcased this past weekend. The other guy being Christian Furman, who on a similar note of guys that just work hard and don't really take plays off. When I tell you Christian Furman has the highest motor of anybody I saw this weekend, he did not take a single play off. And I'd asked him after the game, I was like, this is the first time I've gotten to see you play live. And a lot of people haven't seen you play live. Where does that come from to be able to play with that much intensity on every play? And he had a pretty good matchup in the post against this kid, Michael Walls, who, um, uh, plays for Conestoga who had the size matchup with him. Like he was right. He was a six, nine kid with decent size. That was, um, at least posing a, uh, posing a challenge for Christian Furman size wise, but the two of them were battling in the post and Christian Furman said, like, I played more physical than him and I'm working harder than him. And he said that, um, I think it was Kevin Garnett and Russell Westbrook are the two guys that, uh, that I'd mentioned in my story, two guys that he looks up to as guys that just like, don't like that passion and that intensity they play with. And, to go back to what we were talking about before about the importance of these kids playing in Philly live and getting seen by college coaches, Christian Furman was not six ten and not this good a year and a half ago. Right. And college coaches weren't really looking at him like that. And now this was the first time the college coaches can really see the new and improved Christian Furman, the guy 
with that high motor, the guy that like will try to bully you in the post, the guy that can be a rim protector, the guy that can step out and knock down a three, the guy that is somewhat comfortable putting the ball on the floor, the guy that can be a lot more versatile and do a lot of different things. Well, so uh, I thought he was really impressive, but if you asked me before Philly live, I would have said this is the kind of kid that's recruitment is going to blow up this summer. And he's probably destined for greener pastures. Like he could find himself in a, in a power five school, but from where his recruitment at where his recruitment is at now. And when I talked to him, he was pleasantly surprised with his unofficial visit to temple of how much he liked the campus. He really enjoyed spending time watching, film with Aaron McKee on that unofficial visit. He said he's very, he's, he said he can say confidently that he wants to set up an official visit um, to Temple sometime this summer and then in the coming weeks. And, and he seemed a lot higher on Temple than I would have imagined. I mean, last time we talked, it was just after he got his Temple offer and he really enjoyed that process of building that relationship. But he said that um, that relationship has only grown. He's been really fond of their coaching staff and, and it, everything he saw on his unofficial visit really impressed him. So I think those are two guys that, stick out in my mind as they can fit what temple wants to do in terms of like, when I think of right now, what temple wants in new guys, my mind keeps going to a guy like Nick Jordan or a guy like Julia white, because they're guys that like have that body and Julia white's more there. Nick Jordan, we saw that progression of where they want to get him to, but those are two guys that are like long athletic, tough, like fight for every play and can step out and shoot a little bit. And the last thing I'll say about this in terms of like the way they fit, there was one guy I was talking to who had said like he had talked to, he's talked to Aaron McKee a handful of times. And he said that the one thing that he's noticed about uh, Aaron in terms of his on the recruiting trail is you have one chance to show that you're a hard worker. And if you let that slip, he's not going to look at you the same way. So I thought that was interesting. So I would say Dan Skillings and Christian Firm are the two guys uh, to answer D Blaze's question. Hopefully, hopefully Mike Griswick is listening to this podcast, right? Because didn't he <laughs> didn't he reply on on Twitter and say, "How can you tell something Someone's, about his work ethic? something something about his work ethic?" Yeah, and I I thought I included in my story that one anecdote did, about did. Uh, for for those of you that haven't read the story, there was just that one quick sequence, probably midway through the second half, where there was a dead ball and Michael Walls was tying his shoe, and Christian Furman looked so just impatient and frustrated that the game wasn't being played at that exact second. And he would kind of motion, like, let's go, let's get this game going. Like he's just so fired up. And like, when I tell you that kid is up and down the floor and fighting for every single ball, he was a, he was a fun player to watch this past weekend. Yeah. And I, and I love Mike and I I like getting into, I mean, I love picking his brain about the game. Obviously we've had him on this podcast Mm -hmm. before, but, um, but I, I felt where you were coming from there. Yeah, it's not like you're covering the Pocono Mountain West beat, but you can when you when you cover some of these events, you get a good indication of who's going the extra mile, who's playing intensely, mm-hmm. who's there just to be seen. And uh, yeah, I thought that came in. I, I thought that came through well. Uh, and you're yeah, school. just like to that to that point of like getting to be able to to be able to see to be able to see the work ethic that someone puts in. Just a funny anecdote from this past weekend on Sunday, I talked to uh temple commit in 2021 class to Sierra Miller for a little bit. And there was one kid we were watching who we'll get into in a little bit, Demetrius Lilly, who temple has been in on a little bit. We were just casually watching the lower Marion game and, and catching up. And he had, he had basically pointed at Demetrius Lilly and said, I like the way he plays because you can tell, you can tell that he works hard on his game. He said that one, that one movie just made, or that one thing he just did. You can tell he works hard on his game. He said, I'm he, he said his, uh, his Miller said something along the lines to me of, um, I'm kind of a harsh critic. I'm not going to say something. I, you know, I'm not going to tell you I like a kid if I don't if I don't mean it, or uh, I'm not just going to hand out compliments. And I, I think the way that kid plays is is impressive, just because you can tell the the work ethic he has. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, another thing too, just in terms of context, and this could change a reminder to fans that as of now, I think Temple's only anticipating having what one scholarship available for the 22 class, whether a guy like, you know, maybe like a guy like Ty Strickland, who actually Ty, I want to give Ty a shout out. He actually showed up to, uh, to Deion Dawkins event last, last, uh, last Saturday, maybe a guy like Ty, who I'm, who's a really, really smart kid. And, uh, I don't know if he'll finish up his degree this summer, but I would imagine it will be soon. If a guy like Ty graduates and maybe wants to use his extra year of eligibility somewhere else, or uh, I think they're anticipating maybe one spot for 22 and then what, two spots for 2023. So it's not like they're going to be engaging as far as we know right now in this massive roster overhaul. So it's an interesting year recruiting wise for 2022. If it is just that laser focused one scholarship. And again, this is fluid. Uh, you've heard Sam talk about two different ends of the spectrum, a guard like Dan Skillings, a guy who, again, great insight from Sam here. It said, I want to prove that I'm more than just a wing and I can play with the ball in my hands. So you're hearing him talk about a guy like Dan Skillings, who's uh, continued to receive a few more offers as, as has Christian Furman. Uh, so do you think they're leaning more toward a big right now, Sam, or if like, if, if a guy like Skillings continued to blow up and they say, yeah, he's not a big, but we just like him too much. We're really going to put the push on him now to see if we can get him to commit. You think they're still leaning more big than guard? My inclination, and from what I'm hearing, I would imagine they're looking more heavily at a big man. But I think there's also an alternate universe where they feel like a, a big man rotation of Sage Tolbert, Jay Forrester, and Nick Jordan, and then maybe finding room for Rashford Parks to pick up a couple minutes if they need him. But that like three-man big man rotation, I think- Or Emmanuel Akpomo too. Oh, yes, that's right. Uh, bring in Emmanuel Akpomo. So they, that's that's essentially a four-man, big-man rotation that I think you're comfortable with, the four and five. Right. So I don't think it's like the end of the world if they get a guy who plays a similar, we'll call it position-wise, to Jaleel White, who can kind of play the one through the four or has size but can have the ball in his hand. So I think they're looking for more. If not a big, they're looking for a wing um, but the, again, I think whoever they bring in, bring in in the 2022 class um, could be more developmental. I think a guy like Christian Furman could probably find himself seeing minutes early just because, you know, he's kind of there. But they could also bring in a guy who, as we've said a thousand times on this podcast, a guy like Nick Jordan, who saw himself more as a project and um, could kind of be a long term, uh, a long term addition in the 2022 class. But to answer your question, I'd say they're probably more focused on a big, but I wouldn't be totally surprised if they find themselves with a wing. Now, to interrupt, uh, now Deep Blaze has a second question here. Before we get to a second question, as we're talking about bigs, we might as well stay on topic here. Now, again, this guy was not at Philly Live, but you know how hard Temple has recruited Ernest Uday from uh, Florida, uh, from Dr. Phillips High School down in Orlando. We kind of knew that his recruitment was going to blow up, and it certainly has. He's now gotten offers from Alabama, Cincinnati, Creighton, Florida, Georgia, I believe, what, didn't uh, Kansas got into the mix Indiana, mm -hmm. Illinois, Miami. Uh, he's he'll be at Philly Live too, though. Yes, he'll be at Philly Live too, and he is still planning on visiting unofficially. Was it this weekend or, or next week, Sam? Ernest. Yes, he's got a visit not, coming up in the next few days. So, um, you know, would be a hell of a get for Temple at this point. But his recruitment has blown up, and you know, I think this is something. If if you listen back a couple months ago month and a half ago, two months ago, whenever we had Ari on Ari Rosenfeld from the Delaware Valley Hoops Report, you know, one of the things that Ari reminded people of 
is that, you know, people's boards now, meaning whenever he was talking to us, uh, you know, several weeks ago are going to look a little different because once people can get out and college coaches can start seeing these kids live beyond just film beyond, you know, getting a second, third hand report from some of these open runs, things are going to change. And we kind of knew that Ernest was going to blow up and, and he really has, but Temple's still getting them on campus. So I guess they're still hanging in there, but I, I would you agree with me? It sounds like he's going to be a tougher get way tougher get at this point than we might've anticipated. I, once ago. Absolutely. I think if you, I think if you had asked me a couple of weeks ago, I probably would have said Ernest Duda is their top priority, especially when I had first talked to him. Like it sounded like he had a great relationship with Temple. His recruitment was definitely going to blow up, but it helped the Temple was in early, but he was like kind of their number one option at the time. Right. Um, now I think he, it's, it's pretty clear he's going to the power five. And, um, but I, I, I wouldn't say that, like they're just because they didn't get him like Temple's totally screwed. Like they have a, they have a handful of really good options uh, of guys that could potentially land for the 2022 class. But yeah, Ernest Duda is definitely really blowing up this summer more than he already has. Yeah. Uh, second question from deep 75, what player surprised you the most? And did anybody disappoint? Surprised me the most. Um, I guess I'll take Ramir Barno. That surprised me. Um, but I have a I have an odd maybe response as to why he surprised me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'll start there and then I'll go to the second part of the question. Uh, so when I talked to Ramir Barno, he had told me um, he sees himself as a scorer first and a facilitator second, which made me think he's the kind of kid that like really wants to have the ball in his hands, going to take a high volume number of their shots, a big part of their offense uh, in terms of scoring the ball. Um, but that really wasn't his game this this weekend. So I think that was what that was what surprised me is that how well he handled just not shooting the ball well. Uh, and basketball can sometimes be a very humbling sport. It's not quite golf humbling, but it can be a humbling sport mm-hmm. in terms of like there are days where the ball is just not going to fall through the hoop. And he was getting to his spots. He was getting clean looks at the hoop. He'd find the nail. He'd find his he'd find like the uh, just off the elbow. He'd take two dribbles in. He'd rise over guys. He got a couple good open looks from three. The ball just was not falling for him. And I saw him play in like one and a half games. I didn't see all three games from the weekend, but he had told me after um, when we had chatted that that was pretty much his whole weekend is he didn't feel like he was shooting the ball nearly as well as he wanted to. Um, so I was surprised to see how well and how confidently he took on a facilitating role uh, in that last game that I saw him play on Sunday. He probably went one for five in the first half um, and he, it was clear the ball just wasn't falling and he might've only taken just like one shot in the second half. He really kind of slowed down that pace of his game to had, had the, uh, the maturity to not keep shooting and to understand that if they're going to win the game, like he has weapons around him and he can still draw that kind of um, that kind of attention offensively, if he's going to drive into the lane and he can make guys like Justin Edwards look really good or someone like Najee Reed, um, both uh, again, as uh, Ramir Barno from Imatap Charter, Najee Reed hit eight threes in right. that game. So he can he can have that mental fortuity to say, you know what, this isn't my day. Uh, the ball's not falling for me, but I got teammates that can score the ball just as efficiently. And he's got a lot of talent around him and a lot of good guard play around him. So to be able to set up his teammates, to be able to focus more defensively and um, to be able to show that he can be more versatile as a facilitator, I thought that was the biggest surprise for me. I fully expected to see Ramir Barno come out and drop close to 20 points uh, in a battle uh, against whoever it was they were playing, but he took on that that facilitator role 
with a lot of maturity um, for his age. He's 20 class 2023. So he's going to be a junior this year. And I talked to his head coach, Andre Noble for a little bit, who shout out to Andre Noble and John Mosco for setting up Philly live one and two last weekend and this coming weekend. But I chatted with Andre Noble for a minute and he had said that uh, Ramir Barner is a very coachable kid and the kind of kid that takes criticism very well. So he understands where his game is at. He understands where he needs to improve. And the thing that he told me he's looking forward to doing this summer, both in terms of like reacting to how he played this weekend, he was like, nothing I can really do other than get back in the gym and sweat it out and keep working. So he's got that kind of like laser focused um, mindset on where he can improve. But then to add on to that, uh, just that he knows he needs to be more physical. He needs to put on weight. He needs to get stronger because the guys he's playing against are getting more physical as he gets older. They play a lot of good talent on their schedule. Um, so that's one thing he's focused on this summer. And Andre Noble said that's what's going to take him from a good player to a great player. Mm-hmm. Did anybody disappoint? I don't want to say disappoint because disappoint yeah. makes it sound like I was super high on someone and I watched them right. play and I was like, wow, you're trash. And it's one weekend. Exactly. And I saw them. Yeah. I saw most of these kids play once, maybe twice. I didn't get to see all three of everyone's games or all, or both of everyone's games. But um, from what I saw from Aaron Bradshaw, he didn't strike me as, you know, a top 20 player in the nation. He's good. He, he has a lot of talent around him too. And the other thing that I think was at least noteworthy is that this was the first time a lot of these guys are playing with their high school teams during the summer and in front of college coaches. So you talk about a guy, uh, Aaron Bradshaw who plays for Camden high school, right? His teammate, his teammate is the number one player in the country DJ Wagner. Right. And DJ Wagner went out and scored 23, but he wasn't taking every shot. So I was having this conversation with someone that, um, they were, who was a lot of people were looking for DJ Wagner to take over this game on, uh, on Friday night. And I think it was against St. Mary's of Colorado. And part of you is like, yeah, DJ Wagner could take over this game if you really wanted to. But also you have to think about the fact that this is the first time. This is this is summer basketball. This is the, Philly, the beginning of the live period. This is the first chance for college coaches to see guys. This is not the place for DJ Wagner to take over and drop 50. This is a place for multiple guys to get involved. I'm sure there was something to do with like their game plan going in was how can we share the ball and win this game? Um, so Aaron Bradshaw only had like nine points and a couple rebounds, but the thing that I thought for me was, and I, uh, the word disappointing feels like a strong word, but he, he was pretty well matched up against, um, with St. Mary's big man, who was probably a couple inches shorter, but had a lot more meat on his bones and was able to push him around more than I would have expected for a four-star recruit. And Aaron Bradshaw said to me, like kind of similar thing. He knows he doesn't have enough upper body strength. If he's going to be able to match up with guys like that, he needs to be able to play that kind of physicality in the post. He had one really nice dunk. He, he played a lot on the short corner um, to kind of set up for like drive and dump drive and dish and like get him looks inside He's a decent finish around the rim. Um, his long arms definitely help in terms of getting rebounds. But when you, he's seven foot and he's not getting nine rebounds uh, a game, but he, he, was, he had some tough matchups this weekend. Um, but again, first weekend of the first real um, test for him in the live period. So I think he has some room to grow this summer. But uh, I, I definitely had higher expectations for what he uh, for what he did and um, or what he was hoping to do. But Aaron Bradshaw picked up a temple offer last week and was on campus last week. So there's definitely room for him to grow, but I, I would say disappointment or underperforming kind of my expectations uh, for someone like that. I would say Aaron Bradshaw. Next question comes from TU Owls fan 2004. Again, this is from our owlscoop.com basketball message board question is Sam, was there a kid whose game 
caught your eye Philly live in particular one that is off the radar a bit that temple should pursue. Um, there were two guys that I think caught my eye. Uh, one of them being a guard that was hard to, would be hard for me to say temple should really be in. Well, I guess cause he's 2023, 20, maybe they could be more in on a point guard, but, um, this kid, miles gray, who's like six foot, nothing, uh, plays for Reading high school and had some of the best passes I've seen all weekend. Pretty good scorer, but the way he was able to set up his teammates with full court thread the needle bounce passes, like the kind of thing you'd see, and we don't like making comparisons on this podcast too much, but the kind of thing you'd see like Jason, uh, not Jason kid, um, Steve Nash and Jason Williams do like these like crazy either underhand full court or, you know, like, oh, like swinging arm bounce pass down the floor or just like really nice outlet passes the way he was able to advance the ball. Um, the way he was able to find his teammate through teammates through tough seams, the way he was able to similar to Ramir Barno attack and and kick out and find guys through seams, which is another important aspect of what Temple basketball does offensively uh, and kind of what they're looking for in a guard is, as Aaron always says, to play inside out, to be able to get the ball to the interior and then find it, find the ball on the exterior, kick the ball out and then kind of rotate and play from there. So Miles Gray, a 2023 point guard from Reading, I thought from, from what I saw from him, I was pretty impressed. Uh, the other guy who I didn't get to see as much of as I now in hindsight would have liked to is someone that um, Temple has been in on, I think has either took an unofficial visit or has an unofficial visit. Don't quote me on that, but uh, his name is Frey. I'm going to butcher this last name, either Nujumbi or Jambi or something like uh, something along those lines. And I apologize for, for messing that up. He's a 2022 wing plays for first love and, uh, shout out to former Al Scoop staff writer, Sam Newman. He had just picked up a Clemson offer. So he had been in touch with Sam had been in touch with him about that. And he had mentioned that he had, um, he had been, he had name dropped temple. So I didn't get a chance to see much of him, but that's someone else that I think that temple is probably a little bit in on. Um, so Frey, that's a 2022 guard. And then the last name I'll say that I think I would, I would have expected, uh, Temple to be a little bit more uh, in on is Demetrius Lilly, who when I talked to him, I mean, and we can get into him in a minute, but his performance was pretty dominant this past weekend. And he's the kind of kid that does a lot of things. Well, he's going to be, he's going to be more of like a four or five than I think a, than like a three, four, he's like six, eight, but he definitely is more of a post presence, really patient in the post. Um, and he was the guy that I mentioned to Miller was just, you know, pretty blandly impressed with uh, what he was able to do in that game against West Catholic. The kid, there's another kid on West Catholic, um, Anthony Finkley, I think is his name. Um, I'm going to double check that, but uh, he was another kid who was probably the best kid on West Catholic who had an okay weekend, but Temple hasn't really been in on, but as someone that maybe they could keep their eye on as another kind of like six, eight guy that can put the ball on the floor and be a little bit more versatile. So I would say those are just a handful of names to rattle off of guys that Temple isn't necessarily, or it, it, to the extent of my knowledge, Temple is not necessarily all in on, but I think there's room for them to be more in on if the other things don't go their way. But again, as we mentioned, 20, they only have, we're presuming they only have one scholarship in the 2022 class. Um, so yeah, uh, Miles Gray, Frey, uh, and, and Jumbi, uh, however you say his name again, I apologize for messing that up. Um, Demetrius Lilly and uh, Anthony Finkley from yeah, West Finkley, Catholic. Yeah. Finkley's what six, about six, six guard wing type of player in the 2023 class. So um, good stuff there, Sam. Um, 
Hey, you, I want to take it back for a second at the at the the top of this portion of the podcast. Uh, you mentioned Jared McKee, Aaron's son. You have a story up on him on the site right now. Again, if you're an Alscoop.com subscriber, uh, go check it out. Uh, he's going to be entering his freshman year, his freshman season at St. Joe's Prep, and you were impressed with him, right? Yeah. So I, the first thing I'll say is I uh, I didn't get a chance to talk to him when I first saw him on Friday, but I got a chance to chat with him just for just briefly on on Sunday after his or before his game. Um, and a lot of this weekend when I'm talking to these kids, I, I kind of have to remind myself, like, these are high schoolers. They Sometimes it feels like sometimes it feels like I'm talking to kids to, to these kids that are, they feel like they're my age. They feel like these are kids in college or kids that are ready to take that next step or whatever, just because the 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 mature presence they have and the the, the pure basketball talent they have. But um, when I'm talking to Jaron, I, I, in my head, I walked away and I'm like, that kid's 14 or 15 years old. He's got three inches on me and the, he, he still speaks with poise and he's still a smart kid. And, uh, you can tell kind of the glee in his voice when he talks about just playing basketball. I'd asked him like, um, do you, do you feel any pressure being Aaron McKee's son? I mean, there's, there's so much that, uh, I think from an outside perspective, I mean, I'm sure he, he, now he said his answer to that question was like, no, I'm just having fun playing basketball. Like he just enjoys it. He's going to be a freshman at St. Joe's prep. He enjoys playing the game. He has a lot of fun with his friends, but I think if you're a temple fan or someone that's been around the city, uh, you know, basketball in Philadelphia, your inclination is like, that's Aaron McKee's son. How good is he going to be? But he doesn't think that way. And he's just a kid. He's just having fun. But to your point about like um, what I saw from him this weekend, him and Olin Chamberlain uh, and from talking to a handful of people like him and Olin Chamberlain are going to be a really impressive backcourt at SJP in the next couple of years, both incoming freshmen, uh, Olin Chamberlain. If you didn't get a chance to read my story on Jaron, Olin Chamberlain is the grand nephew of 76ers, great hall of famer, Wilt Chamberlain. Uh, so there's a lot of basketball blood in that backcourt. And then um, in the front court at SJP, I have it written down somewhere. Um, his name is Tristan Guillette, uh, who transferred in from a school in New Jersey. I think he's 2023, but he could be 2024. He's a kid that was one block away from a triple double in their first game on Friday. So you look at that big three. There's a lot of uh, a lot of potential for Saint, what St. Joe's Prep is doing, and a lot of young talent that could be that could be pretty impressive in a year or two. Um, but yeah, Jaron's game. Just to, to focus on the the son of Temple head coach Aaron McKee, he had mistakes that like and that kind of any other freshman would make. He'd either misread something or you know maybe the game is coming at him a little fast just because it's his first real test of of varsity basketball at the high school level, but the way at his age, the way he can kind of find his spots and play the mid range game, um, the way he can set up his teammates, the way he, the way he sees the floor is, is impressive for his age. And he's already six, one, six, two, he's probably going to be closer to six, four, six, five by the time he's a junior or senior. So I would imagine he has a growth spurt ahead of him and he's got a lot of the, the potential is absolutely there for Jaron McKee. Yeah. So one of several temple legacy guys, of course, Jaron being the most, Interesting one because he's the son of the of the head coach, and uh, we've mentioned Sharif Jackson, Mark Jackson's son. He's a class of twenty twenty five player, Dimash Salisbury, and then Madden Collins, the son of uh, Marty Collins and Dimash, of course, is Dustin Salisbury, Salisbury's son. So, um, yeah, an interesting look at at Jaron again. If you haven't checked out Sam's story, please do. And yeah, it looks like St. Joe's Prep is set to become you know one of the better teams in the area, and certainly one of the better teams in the uh, in the city as well. Um, Anybody else? That, I mean, that's a pretty comprehensive, pretty comprehensive look. I mean, what what's next this weekend? Anybody else you're looking forward to seeing in Philly Live too this weekend? 
So I haven't gotten done a full breakdown of like the schedule and kind of where I need to be and when. Uh, the one thing I'll say on the note of guys we've talked about over the last half hour, uh, which is the game I know I'm not going to be able to be at and the game I'm most upset that I won't be able to be at is Friday evening. Um, Demetrius Lilly and Christian Furman are going up against each other. Pocono Mountain West versus Lower Marion, which is going to be a really good game and a really good big man battle. Be interesting to see those two guys who had a lot of success this past weekend go up against each other. Um, I know Ernest Uday will be there. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else. Uh, I don't think Frey from First Love will be there this weekend. Um, trying to remember if there's anywhere else that stood out on my list. I not that I could think of off the top of my head that will be there. I'm pretty sure Anthony Finkley will be there again with West Catholic. Uh, I believe Aaron Bradshaw Camden uh, high school will be there again. I think friend central is going to be there who a name fans might not have heard of in a while is Sean Simmons um, who temple got in pretty early and offered pretty early, but another guy whose recruitment is, uh, has taken off a little bit in terms of interest uh, interest wise. Um, and Imatep will be there again. So I'll get, to, again, uh, I'll get another chance to see Ramir Barno play. And Justin Edwards, who also has a Temple offer, but um, it seems like he, he's, uh, he's got – yeah, he's blown up a little bit more. This will be a big summer for him. Final question for you before we get to the rest of the mailbag questions here. With Lily at Lower Marion, I know you've, you've said that you've gotten the sense that maybe Temple hasn't been on him as much you think they start to get on him a little bit more again? I know he's a little different. He's more of, I guess, like a, I hate to say traditional back to the basket, big, but that type of player. Although you said he, he did show you the ability to step out and hit some jumpers. Whereas Ernest and, and Christian Furman are more like live wire type of guys. Is that the biggest difference between, between a guy like Dimitri Soli and those two guys where he's a little bit more back a guy down a little bit. If he steps out, he's going to be a little bit more, um, Kind of like procedural or plotting with how he steps mm-hmm. out. Is that kind of his game a little bit more than than the other two? That's guys? yeah, that's absolutely the difference between their game, but I hesitate to say back to the basket big. I think like he's a face up guy and he's not a guy that's gonna give you that's gonna go post moves with his like that's gonna turn with his back to the basket and kind of like shake you loose and then hit a you know a sky hook or whatever. Right. But He's the kind of guy that's going to face up and give you one or two dribbles or hold the ball with ever with, you know, his entire body strength and push, push bodies around. Cause when he was playing West, that game I saw against West Catholic on Sunday, he would get triple teamed in the post and he would still go up and he would find a way to get it in, whether it might take him two or three tries, but he's putting it up. If not, he's grabbing his own rebound and putting it back in. And he's, he's very patient in the post but he also does a really good job of clearing bodies out and getting just an inch of space. And whether it's an and one, or he's able to just sneak it through a tiny seam to put it off the glass, he's got a soft touch. So, and he hit two threes. He was able to catch it in an, in an interesting spot. Like his game is not hanging out by the three point line. His game is not, um, you know, uh, like really catching the ball and then attacking from there. If he's going to catch it, turn and face and attack the hoop, it's going to be, just outside the restricted area. Like his game is pretty limited to the restricted area, but he's shown that he has a three point shot. That's just, he's not nimble enough. He's nimble in the post. He's not nimble enough to really play the three, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, it makes perfect sense. Whereas, whereas like that's where Christian Furman's game, I feel like is at right now. Gotcha. All right. So again, we'll have more coverage of Philly live too, for you guys through, uh, through Sam this weekend. So stay tuned for that. Do you have some remaining uh, nail bag questions to get here. Some football, some hoops. Um, this next one is, um, it's a, it's a football question. It's from the screen name PA fanatic. 
Uh, so the first question here is, with reports that local coaches want to see more regional ties on Temple's football staff, if you guys had a chance to rehire Temple's football director of player personnel, who would you hire? Specific names, please. So um, I proceeded to respond to PA Fanatic. What report are you referring to? Not to be a hard ass, but just to be you know procedural. And he told me he was referring to a message board post from another one of our subscribers. The screen name is North Broad. So I said, it's not an actual report. Uh, there's a difference in uh, North Broad. This subscriber does have some pretty good sources. But um, so I told PA Fanatic that, that we would respond to his question. So here's my, here are my thoughts on this. Um, you know, I mean, if you include my time in college when I worked at, at the Temple News uh, and then even uh, afterward covering, you know, high school sports, college sports and pro sports for the Daily Journal in, in Jersey and working for Gannett, was still doing stuff for Al Scoop at the time. I, I've got close to 25 years of experience in covering this team and this program. Um, fans are always going to be critical of the staff makeup and the Philly presence and Temple's responsibility to Philadelphia. Um, so here are my thoughts on this before I give you, and I'm not really going to give you, I'm probably spoiling your day here, PA Fanatic, but I'm not going to give you a, a specific name of if I had a chance to rehire Temple's football director of player personnel, because they have two directors of player personnel right now. One of your player personnel directors is Adam DeMichael. The other is Zach Gold, who came from Northwestern staff. And I don't know if, if PA fanatic is more taking aim at Zach Gold here. Um, Adam is a guy, as all of you know, if you're a Temple fan, was one of the more beloved players in, in Temple's recent memory for football. He's a quarterback, got a cup of coffee with the Eagles, played professionally, has been the longest tenured member of the staff since 2013. Um, Adam's pretty much a local guy at this point. He lives in South Jersey. He knows the high schools around here, knows the coaches around here, uh, can also get, get you an occasional foot in the door out in Pittsburgh, where he's from. I'm not saying that with Adam on their staff, the Temple's been routinely out recruiting Pitt, Penn State, Notre Dame, and Ohio State, but he's one of your player personnel directors. Uh, and my thing is, I'm not going to really, you know, I've yet to meet Zach Gold. So I'm not going to criticize that hire before I have the chance to meet him and actually evaluate the job he's done. Um, again, probably a very much a non-sexy answer for PA fanatic here, but you know, um, yes, we're doing a podcast. People like hot takes. We also get paid to be fair. So I get, I get that people want more local ties and to back up on this for a second, PA fanatic, the, the message board post he's referring to is North Broad. Again, another one of our subscribers said something to the effect of like, I've talked to some people in the area who want to see more of a local presence on Temple staff. Okay, that's fine. Let's move forward with this just to be procedural. And I'm not going to try to draw this out much longer, but Gabe Infante, who I'm, I'm hoping to talk to in the next week or two for a story, Gabe Infante, as you know, long time high school coach at St. Joe's prep, quite literally, not just one of the best high school coaches in the city, but in the country, won four state titles in nine seasons at St. Joe's prep. So, you know, if you're a ticked off temple fan right now and you're one in six and you hear something, you say, Oh, I'm, Oh, you're hearing that some local guys want more of a local flavor on, on temple staff. Okay. That's how I feel too. All right. Let's walk through this. If you're a real cynic and you're, and you're, critical and you're skeptical because the team went one and six, that's fair, but you're going to say, well, he wasn't one of Rod's hires, you know, Manny Diaz hired him and then Rod retained him. Well, 
Rod had a choice. He could have said, hey, Gabe, listen, you should probably go back to the high school ranks. And I'm sure Rod knew that if he did that, he might have damaged some relationships. But Rod did retain him. And he is now heading into his third season at Temple, and he chose to make Gabe his recruiting coordinator. So if you were looking at this through the lens of, we need more of a local presence on our staff right now. And let's say Gabe Infante is still sitting at St. Joe's prep and people are saying, we need more local guys. We need that ninth or 10th guy on your staff needs to be a local guy. Wouldn't Gabe Infante quite literally be the guy that you would want to go and get? I mean, he's coached DeAndre Swift. He's coached a, a number of blue chip players. And so again, I want to see how this plays out before I start responding and saying, you know, some unnamed guys in the area are saying the temple needs to have more of a local flavor on their staff. I was hearing this when Matt Rule was around. I was hearing this when Steve Adazio was around. I was hearing this when Hal Golden was around. Um, and just one other thing to consider here, because again, I think that Temple basketball deals with this. And I think the football program, as we're talking about now, deals with this. People are always saying, what are you doing for Philly? What are you doing for Philly? You got to get local guys. Got to get local guys. Let's look at Temple's 2021 recruiting class for football. Of the 12 Incoming freshmen they signed, apart from the transfers, two were from Philadelphia, Malik Cooper from St. Joe's Prep, who was your first verbal commit from that class, and then Balansama Kamara from Central High School. Then you had three other local guys joining that class. If we're talking Philly guys, local guys, Corey Palmer from Camden High School, across the river in South Jersey, Andrew Garwell from Conwell Egan, who had uh, had the Temple offer, committed to Colorado State, changed his mind, flipped the Temple, and Jordan Lodato from, from Henderson High School in Westchester. So that's five of 12 of your incoming freshmen were either from the city or the surrounding area. To me, in my humble opinion, uh, that's fine. I mean, what, you can't take 11 of your 12 guys from Philly because that same fan on the other side of their mouth is going to say, well, you got to recruit Florida. You got to recruit Delmarva. You got to recruit, you get, get down to Hampton roads. If you can get down to um, you know, the Virginia beach area, get You got to get up to North Jersey and you guys from wherever you can get them. Temple's recruiting in essentially the same way now that especially they can do camps the same way Al Golden did, the same way Steve Adazio did, the same way Matt Rule did. They can get guys into camps, evaluate them, offer them. Um, they do have a local presence right now. So it's not unsurprising to me, but to back this way up, and again, I'm sorry if this seems like a super long answer, PA fanatic, but I don't doubt that some coaches out there are saying, oh, they need more local guys on their staff, you know, first of all, it's not an uncommon thing for any guy to bring in a lot of his guys. So if Rod brought in a lot of guys from Northern Illinois, he won a lot of games at Northern Illinois. That's what's going to happen. Fran Dunphy, whether people like this or not, brought his entire staff with him from Penn. Um, people are going to bring in guys that they're familiar with. But, you know, again, Rod Carey did just decide to make Gabe Infante his recruiting coordinator. So he's literally putting him front and center of the recruiting efforts. It's not to say that Melvin Rice Mike Yurimovich, Jeff Knowles, it's not a group effort. Other coaches are going to be out there recruiting, but you have a guy who was the best high school football coach in the entire city and one of the best high school coaches in the entire country is your recruiting coordinator now. So you'll have to forgive me on this. I'm just going to kind of just say, let me wait and see on this. I'm not going to, not going to cast stones at Zach Gold just because he came from Northwestern and he's not from this area. So Probably not the answer you're looking for, but hopefully enough context and background so you understand where I'm coming from here. All right, so the second part of PA Fanatic's mailbag question is, I'm confident that any of the students on the podcast could do a better job handling Temple Sports social media accounts. 
how badly did the social media department butcher Aaron McKee's bell ringing on national TV opportunity? And can you talk to or interview anyone to make them aware of this ineptitude? All right. I realize this is a popular topic sometimes among Temple fans. They have a right to their opinion. And I realize social media is an important piece to everything. Uh, I'm not going to, at the same time, publicly rip their staff on this podcast. Um, again, you're entitled to your opinion. I realize social media presence is important, um, but social media is a toxic enough place to begin with. And I'm not going to add to it by ripping their staff without them having the opportunity to be on this podcast to talk about the resources they have, what they can do, what they can't do. So again, understand and appreciate the question. Just not really going to go there on this podcast without them um, having the opportunity to sit here and talk about what they do. So, you know, if you have suggestions on how to make it better and you want to be part of the solution, my suggestion is, you know, drop them an email, share your thoughts with them if you haven't already. But beyond that, I'm not just going to, um, you know, I get it. You're entitled to your opinion, as I've said a few times already, but I'm not going to sit here and take pot shots at them um, without them having the opportunity to sit here and talk about what they do. Uh, I know podcasts can sometimes be about hot takes and opinions and stuff like that, but uh, I want to be fair at the same time. So I hope you understand that. Probably not the sensationalistic answer that you're hoping for, but um, that's about all I can say. Um, next question here. Another good one. Uh, another interesting question here. Uh, and certainly topical. 215 Temple Tough from the message board asks, to your knowledge, has Temple done anything in regards to the upcoming NIL law change, meaning name, image, likeness, law change in July, where athletes will be allowed to make money off their likeness and such? Other schools have developed programs for their athletes to help teach them the ins and outs of what will be allowed and what isn't, coupled uh, with showing them how to make money under the new rules. I think this would be a good feature story if we are being, if we meaning Temple, uh, are being proactive and getting in front of this. And I would think it would be a good selling point to potential recruits as well. So again, um, just to back up on this again, if if you're following this, it looks like things are headed in the direction of athletes, as as two on five two on five Temple Tough here said that athletes are going to be able to capitalize on their name, image, and likeness. Uh, I, I talked to Larry Doherty, Temple Senior Associate AD, uh, and basically their, you know, handles basketball media relations and has worked at Temple for a long time. Um, Larry told me the Temple does have a committee that meets about this and is studying it and wants to, you know, put their athletes in the best position uh, possible to be able to utilize it. They're just waiting to get more clarity on what is eventually going to be allowable. And there are a lot of different forms of this, obviously, you know, there's the, the fear that this could just basically be, um, something that creates a bigger separation between the haves and the have nots. If you want to be really cynical, you can say that it's basically just going to legalize what a lot of boosters and big time conferences has been, have been doing. Um, you know, again, this is hypothetical. Hey, Trevor Lawrence, if you come to Clemson, uh, I'm going to get you a six figure endorsement deal with a local car dealership down here. Um, that's some of the stuff that could potentially become available, but not just that. It's like, you know, the MB, the, the, um, excuse me, the NCAA has been extremely cumbersome with like not even allowing a, a college soccer player to, to make a few bucks off of YouTube or, you know, do something like that. So I understand it's a great question. Fans want to know 
is Temple ahead of the curve on this? Are they preparing student athletes for, for what this could be like? And we're actually hoping to talk about this more in the coming weeks this summer and trying to get a couple of expert voices on the pod to talk about this. Cause again, it's along with the transfer portal, another thing that's going to come along and really change college athletics. So to answer your question, yes, Temple is thinking about it. They have a committee that's working on it. Um, you know, that's the best answer I can give you right now. And, and hopefully we'll know more about what Temple's doing in the next few weeks or next month um, before this thing moves forward. But it's a great question. Sam, I, I think this is going to be really interesting. I don't know how you, you feel about it. And again, we could debate this for the next several hours if we wanted to. I think one of the things that's going to be really interesting, and I'm sure coaches have to be thinking about this, is, you know, again, and I'm all for athletes having more rights, more opportunities to make money, because again, you can go back and forth on this. The person who's more removed might say, why do athletes need money? A four-year, you know, a college education, a free college education is, is enough, but I've just covered way too many kids over the years and uh, who have told me, yes, I am beyond thankful that I won't have student loans. I'm beyond thankful that I get to play that the basketball or football or soccer or tennis has afforded me the free opportunity to get an education, but their families might not have any money. I mean, Mark Jackson uh, played, we mentioned his son Sharif earlier in the podcast, played at Roman Catholic high school, played at VCU, transferred to temple, um, obviously went on to make a lot of money in the NBA and overseas, but Mark left temple a year early because he needed to help his mother. And he's like, she can't pay her bills right now. And she'd had a lot of problems, a lot of issues. And he was drafted in the second round by, I believe the warriors. And he decided to go to start playing overseas in Europe and Turkey because he needed money to take care of his mother. So just know that even though, yes, these college athletes might look like they have a better life than you did and they get a free education, but you know, if they can make two grand, three grand, 10 grand, who knows? And the big conferences, Lord knows what it's going to be like. I'm all for it. One of the things that I wanted to get your take on, and we can ask coaches about this in the future. The thing that I think it's going to get really tricky. And I would be shocked if people haven't talked about this already is what do you think this is going to do to team chemistry in the future? So let's say, um, you know, this is hypothetical. Let's say two years from now, Aaron McKee gets a high profile kid from Philly to stay home. And he, he says, Hey, I just got you, you know, um, Joe Schmo, a temple, um, has a really super successful car dealership out in, you know, um, in Bucks County or Chester County or Delaware County. And over, you know, he's going to, this endorsement deal is going to give you, and as I understand it, I don't think they can flatly say this during recruiting long story short, what if a kid from Philly stays home and he's starting to make $5,000, $10,000, $20,000, a lot of money off of a car endorsement dealership. Does that start causing some resentment for some guys on the other team? Or, I'm sorry, other guys on the team who look around and say, well, yeah, must be, must be nice for you. You're getting money that I'm not getting. Does that start causing some divide on the roster? Is that something that the, the coaches are really going to have to be wary of when you're not only there's a difference between the haves and the have nots in terms of like, teams in the sec and maybe teams in the American, but then guys on the actual teams, do you think that could cause some resentment where guys on the basketball team or the football team be like, Oh, must be nice to be the star running back. And you just got 50 grand for a bunch of TV ads from, uh, you know, from a sandwich shop down the street. 
That's a really good question. And I think what we're going to see with the new name, image, and likeness laws is going to change the entire landscape of college sports over the next few years. I think that's that's pretty blatant. But I mean, to your point, it's the kind of thing that they're they're going to have to put a lot. College, you're going to have to put a lot of work into making sure that these guys understand the situations they're in, because a lot of problems in um, both in college athletic trickle down high school athletics, college athletics, professional sports. Like there are a lot of guys that have a lot of hands in what they're doing, right. and there has to be a lot of education and a lot of work that goes into making sure these kids aren't. Um, aren't making bad decisions or aren't, you know, doing things that are going to hurt them in the long run or making sure they understand like with, with great, what is it with great uh, power comes great responsibility. Like they're going to have, they're going to have a chance to make some, to make good money. And I think that's a really incredible thing and a really necessary thing and an important thing. It's something that's long overdue, but you do make a good point. Accountant. (laughs) Exactly. You're going to, you make a good point that there is going to be, I would imagine there is going to be some, I don't know if we even go far as resentment, but just like some tension between guys yeah. about what it means to be better than the guy next to you. Uh, and because now there's almost a number attached to your name when you're getting that kind of money. But if to your example, I don't think there's a world where coach Aaron McKee goes to goes up to any of his guys and says, I have this opportunity for you. I think if I, I think it's going to be a lot of, cause he probably understands that, that it's uh, it's the kind of thing where he can't favor a guy like that with money. Um, it's the kind of thing where, players will seek that on their, on their own, or they'll have advisors that help them seek out those opportunities because at the end of the day, coaches, it's going to add another layer to uh, a coach's job description of having to handle what a player, what players are capable of doing and the money they're able to bring in, but still keep them focused on, uh, on what's important for the team and having, keeping that chemistry within the building without, uh, without that's just an added, um, uh, just an added, almost not, not even distraction, but just like an added layer to what goes on in college athletics. And to be clear, I don't mean to say that this is a bad thing that's happening. I think it's an incredible thing that's happening that they're able to make profit off of their name, image, and likeness because they are bringing in an incredible amount of money, billions of dollars uh, for college athletics. But you're right that it definitely adds another layer of like something to think about for them. Yeah, I think there's going to be, and again, I don't mean these to, to, to sound like these are anything uh, as far as takes that are anything incredibly insightful, but I think you're going to see a lot of trial and error with this, a lot of growing pains. And again, hopefully over the next two or three podcasts that we do, we're going to try to get some expert voices in because there are a bunch of different ways that you can slice this. It is quickly becoming the, the biggest story in college athletics, along with maybe the expansion of the, you know, the college football playoff. And uh, we'll definitely be talking more about this Two one five temple tough and other people listening. Great question. Uh, so again, the circle back on the answer again, temple does have a committee that's meeting about it. Uh, but again, according to Larry Doherty, they're waiting to get more clarity on what is allowable before they really are stepping in and advising their student athletes on it. But yes, it's going to be incredibly, incredibly interesting to cover this and follow this. Um, next bailback question here. We got a couple more. Um, this is from North broad. So earlier in the podcast, I mentioned that, um, PA fanatic referenced a message board post from North broad about the whole thing of like, should temple have more of a local tie or local flavor on its football staff with coaches. So North broad chimed in and said, how dare you besmirch my good parentheses screen name, John question for the pod top five names you've besmirched. I have some names written down here. And I think I said to North broad, I said, I'm thinking music here. Do I go, do I go the whole band or do I go with the lead singer? And he wrote back and said, I'll leave that up to the besmircher. So, um, 
Sam, I'll let this answer. I'll let you answer this first. Top five names you've besmirched. Are there, whether it's people in the music industry, coaches, players, top five names of people that you have, again, if you don't, if you're talking about besmirching someone's good name, dragging it through the mud, smearing them, people you don't like, are there just five, five people, whether it's in sports, the entertainment industry, music, the, the teams, lead singers, players that you just cannot stand? I don't think there's, I don't think I can name five names I've besmirched on this podcast. I don't think I've besmirched anybody, like very many names on this podcast. Um, among friends. Don't try to be too squeaky clean here, Sam. You're a hell of a, I love you to pieces. You're a very nice guy, but they're going to be gonna like get five. myself. You're going to get myself fired. <laughs> no, you're not going to get yourself fired. Five, maybe just a few names. People that you. People, like, well, we'll people that I've besmirched. Thing. So I can, I can, I can say anybody that I've besmirched. Yeah. I'll say 1000% Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. Join, the um, Join the club. Very topical. Trying to think of people. People that I've just really not liked. I feel like I, I should have better prepared for this question. I didn't see this until now. Um, I want to let you go with you. I want to let you explain your list while I think for a sec, because I definitely, will, there's I'll definitely allow more. Allow you to temporarily hop in the DeLorean, go back in time a few minutes, and maybe exactly for this. <laughs> Sam, you got to get back in. <laughs> Something's got to be done about your kids. Your kids, Sam. You need more people to besmirch. This is a this Doc Brown imitation is going nowhere fast. I'll shut up. Um, top five names of people I've besmirched. Uh, I told North Broad, I'm thinking very heavily music here. Um, I'm thinking Nickelback, Pitbull, Creed. Uh, Pitbull people are probably going to get on me for that. And I've, I've said this before on social media the guy seems to have a heart of gold donated a ton of money to puerto rico during the pandemic i just can't i just i just can't stand his music um chip kelly once the chip kelly era started going south i I just could not stand what he was doing with the eagles uh this would be really easy if we got into politics but i'm going to stay steer clear of that um those are some of the ones I can think of. Yeah, you could probably add Ben Simmons to the list for me. You know, I'm uh, I'm not covering the Sixers. I'm a Sixers fan. Would have loved to have seen Ben Simmons prove people wrong. And uh, you know, you know, he had that tweet right a couple of weeks ago where he's like, "They love me, they love me not." Ben, he can't be passing up open dunks, man. I've never seen anything like that. What he did the other night, where he literally passed up an open dunk, passed up two points, was afraid to get fouled potentially turn into a three-point play, instead dishes it to Matisse Thibel, who's not a great foul shooter to begin with. They hit one of two. Um, I don't know. Those are, those are some of the things I can think of. I'll go a step further here, and people are going to think I'm nuts. And my friends have heard me talk about this because I can be very opinionated with music. Years ago, when I was talking about some of the bands that I did not like, and this is going to sound sick, I came up with the concept of the John DeCarlo Mangled Bus Tour, where I took all the bands that I didn't like and they would go on tour and at each at each stop along the tour the bus would crash nobody would die nobody would get seriously hurt <laughs> but it would shake them up enough to be like life is too short I don't want to be in a band anymore so I had like wow Creed, what a dark universe <laughs> I'd like Creed Nickelback the who else Slipknot Blink 182 
just some bands that get on my nerves and like at each stop, let's say the first stop, like the bus crashes and like Scott Stop from Creed is like, guys, life's too short. We should just go. We should just go buy a farm somewhere and never be heard from again. And wow. then at the next stop, the bus veers off the road again and everybody gets shaken up and Chad Kroger and the guys from Nickelback, like Dude, we're going back to Canada and we're just going to become avid hockey fans and just start our own hockey blog and we'll never record music. That's the concept behind the John DeCarlo Mango bus tour, which sounds worse than it is. People probably think I'm completely crazy now, but so North broad, when you, when we think of besmirching names, I typically resort to music or whoever's just on my list for sports in general. So I don't know, Sam, I tried to ramble on as long as I could. Have you thought of anybody else? I really don't besmirch that many names seriously. Like, I, there's well, no, I don't, I don't feel know like... that I do either, even though I just revealed all that crazy crap about Mangle Bus Tour. I, I think we're both pretty even killed guys, right? Don't we have don't... a lot of hate in our hearts. Kyle wouldn't enjoy this, right? Isn't this more? Kyle, this would be a great Kyle's question. Kyle's a great Kyle. person. I know I'm, do... I know I'm playing right into the John DeCarlo nice guy thing, but I think Kyle would, Kyle would, get Kyle would love this question. Right? He'd eat this up. Yeah. Might even put us on the list. <laughs> nobody's nobody what if he what if he just went around the owl scoop corner and was like oh five people john DeCarlo, sam cone sam newman graham foley tommy <laughs> yeah and we're all just like we just just rips through, just rips right through all of us yeah just walk away and cry somewhere so that'd be funny question north broad um last question here this is another one from d blaze 75 um and this goes back to the Deion dawkins interview can you discuss and try to quantify the impact on the temple football program by Deion dawkins coming back to give to the community is a high NFL draft pick uh, who has a second contract in place with the bills. I know you discussed in your report, but maybe go beyond that and how that could change players minds who have recently looked for potential greener pastures elsewhere at P five programs. To me, graduating from temple gives the players a home, a place they can return to and give back to the community and also feel like a big part of the program. How does that resonate with players today? Great question. D blaze. Um, and I mentioned this at the outset of the podcast, um, to be clear, I, you know, I was there for a couple of hours, got to talk to Dion, got to talk to him, Amir Tyler, um, got to chat with Rod for, you know, a few minutes. Uh, Brian Saunders, one of our staff members stopped by. So it was a really cool event. Uh, but Rod and his staff were going over to the camp. And then as Dion mentioned, the guys, he said, you know, we work first and play later. Uh, he was occasionally chatting with a few guys. I was not there when he spoke to the team. So I can't say that I was literally part of that conversation, but to answer your question, yeah, I think it was going to, and probably did have a tremendous impact on the program because again, he's by far not the only guy who's going to stop back in the coming weeks and the coming months to talk to these guys. Uh, it's a fairly routine thing and hopefully it will become more routine now that restrictions are being lifted, but the, hopefully us heading in a, uh, in a, in a good direction with uh, recovering from COVID uh, it's it's not uncommon for guys like Dion to stop back, but there's a little different, a little something different about how Dion does it. So as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I, I think, and I'm certainly not trying to diminish the impact he has in the community because that is huge and that's top of mind, the purpose of this. But I think the team, again, there were more than 50 guys there from the team that came out for for this. So kudos to them for coming out and helping and quite literally helping the community, putting food in bags, walking stuff out to people, to their cars as they pulled up, walking it up to the church at Broad and Diamond. Um, but yeah, I think it would probably have a tremendous impact on the program because they've gone through several months of negativity. People saying one in six, one in six, what the hell is this? This isn't 
Temple football. And it's good that they have that standard to live up to. So I'm sure Dion was a huge, huge shot in the arm for that because he is, he's very funny. He's very charismatic. He's very relatable. And here's a guy who, again, stop us. If you've heard this before under-recruited temple guy, he was a three-star recruit. He went to Rahway high school, as he mentioned up in North Jersey, spent a post-grad season at Hargrave did have a Cincinnati offer, but was passed over by Rutgers was passed over by a lot of programs. Now he's a multimillionaire on his second contract playing for one of the best teams in the NFL. So yeah, huge shot in the arm for the program. So I think it will absolutely resonate with players and will it keep some guys at temple who might've been thinking about the, the portal potentially, again, this is all supposition on our part, but you know, I think the I think the the thing, and I'll I'll try to condense this. I think the thing with the transfer portal is going to resolve itself in a few years because I think initially people are going to get wide eyes and be like, I can go anywhere, but then it's going to be like a game of musical chairs where eventually there aren't going to be enough seats and you could be stuck. So I'm sure if a guy like Deion Dawkins comes back and says, Hey guys, yeah, the transfer portal didn't exist like it did when when Dion was in school, but he can say, Hey. I had basically very few to no offers coming out of Rahway High School. Even after a post-grad year at Hargrave, it's not like my recruitment blew up. I came to Temple. I worked hard. I did what I was supposed to do. I'm now one of the better left tackles in the NFL. Can't imagine that's a bad thing for the guys who heard it. Maybe that resonates with an Adam Klein, an Isaac Moore, um, any young offensive lineman, or really anybody. But you could tell that they were starting to get more excited to, to talk to him. They were looking more in his direction. Again, I saw him engaging more with Rod Carey. I mean, Amir Tyler, but again, I know he talked to the guys later on. I wasn't there to hear his actual speech, but I can imagine it was good uh, knowing Dion the way I know him. And I can imagine it had a, a pretty profound impact uh, on the team, especially coming off of the season they've come off of. So good question there. Um, that'll do it for this week. Again, a big thank you to Dion Dawkins for spending as much time as he did talking to me on Saturday. Thank you to Amir Tyler. Again, you can go to our Scoop website to check out that interview, the complete interview there. Big thank you to Sam Cohen for being with me today and for just kicking ass over at Philly Live. And he's going to be there again this weekend uh, to satisfy your recruiting fix for Temple Hoops and give you more insight into the guys that they're looking at. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. Thank you for being subscribers to this podcast. And we will talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.